Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Following American dollars all the way to China, why the Biden administration is planning a closer look at outbound investments. Democratic Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill joins us. We've seen some U.S. investment going into Xinjiang, where a genocide is taking place against the Uyghur people. We've seen some investment, U.S. investment, going into the suppliers of the People's Liberation Army. And the New York Post's Lydia Moynihan on the workplace and work-from-home trends that you might not know about. One thing I want to touch on is this whole lazy girl job trend that's been going viral. What is this? On the internet. Plus, Beyond Meat stock is beyond disappointing. AB InBev is unloading a few of its beers and Italian banks hammered by one giant tax. It's like when hell freezes over kind of thing. It's Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one, cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square with the one and only Melissa Lee. It's just you and me hanging out <laughs> for the morning. Joe and Becky are off today. And uh, we've got a lot going on. We so do. We're we very do. excited Big about day. it. Italian bank stocks are getting hammered this morning. This after the country's government approved a surprise 40% windfall tax on lenders, quote unquote, excess profits in 2023. Italy's deputy prime minister said the tax would apply to banks' extra profits derived from higher interest rates and would amount to several billion euros. He said it would be used to cut taxes and offer financial support to mortgage holders. The tax will apply to net interest income exceeding 3% growth for 2023 and exceeding 6% growth for 2023. This morning, Citigroup estimated that the one-off tax would be equal to around 19% of bank net profits for the year. Citi said it based its calculations on the assumption that the tax would only apply to domestic net interest income, but the law wasn't clear on that point. You see the declines across the board here. Okay, if this were to happen in the United States... Could not happen in the United States. I know it couldn't happen, but I mean, you could just <laughs> wholly, wholly... I don't even know what would rain down on the world. That's why I say it was just, it's like when hell freezes over kind of thing, kind of scenario. 40% windfall profit tax on banks. And so do you think if you were, I mean, is this, do you think there's such a game changer in terms of any business that even would ever be in business in, in Italy ever again? I think that they view banks as utilities in Italy. And I think investors will always think about certain industries now, you know, at the beck and call of the government in terms of the profits. And so whatever you know, scenario they think they have in their head in terms of profit forecasts can just be wiped out like that. Something that almost, changes your mindset There's something almost completely. Chinese about this. Communist, you mean? Yeah. Not necessarily Chinese. Well, communist. no, but I'm, uh, the reason I was saying that was China, if you remember, almost, you know, out of nowhere, it was like a bolt of lightning towards this, the tech companies. Right. It was a bolt yeah, yeah. of lightning. I mean, there have been these bolts of lightning. Right. It could be stamp taxes on trading. Uh, toward, um, towards towards like specific that. industries yeah. in a very remarkable way. Mm-hmm. Shares of Paramount Global, they are higher this morning. Here's what's happening. Just to earnings of 10 cents per share beat estimates for a break-even quarter. Revenue also coming in above expectations, although subscribers to the Paramount Plus streaming service fell short of estimates. Advertising revenue in the TV segment fell 10%. And executives there saying that they expect similar ad revenue in the current quarter, but forecast a rebound in the fourth quarter. The company also announced an agreement to sell book publisher Simon & Schuster to private equity giant KKR for $1.6 billion. And Paramount saying it would use the proceeds of that sale to pay down debt. And I should say, as I probably always should, uh, 
Billions, which I co-created, is on mm -hmm. Showtime, which is all owned also streaming. By, oh, which is streamed on Paramount. Oh, I did. Oh, yes, That's of course, yes. I'm in the same way we would say, you know, something uh, Oppenheimer's exactly, yeah, exactly. So. Um, Paramount, though, the bar was low for that. Uh, what they said on the conference call was interesting: a 35 percent increase in viewership, which is a lot. I yeah. mean, think about that, and you have to wonder with. Now, Disney coming out, does this mean people are streaming more? Is this Paramount specific? Is it just that Paramount? Well, they picked up a whole bunch base? of subscribers. You know, they, they, this was actually, I mean, the bar had been lowered, but yeah. this, was a good, this was a good quarter on a relative basis for mm -hmm. them. They still, need, they still need to make cash. It's a cash yeah. business. But the sale was very good for them. Yep. Shares of Beyond Meat, meantime, they are plunging. A loss of 83 cents a share was three cents better than what analysts had expected, but revenue of $102 million fell short of the $108 million estimate. The company also cut its full year of revenue forecast. As slowing demand has shown no signs of recovery, the company said high inflation, rising interest rates, and recession fears contributed to the soft demand. CEO Ethan Brown said the company is also struggling with the perception that its products are unhealthy and overly processed, and it's releasing an ad campaign that says will help change perceptions. But it's interesting to contrast this, what's going on with Tyson, which also saw a big, big decline in right. yesterday's session, because Tyson's seen the glut in pork and chicken with prices so low. And so lower actual real protein costs, right. that's a real headwind for the fake protein, which costs more. More. Right. It's all relative, right? This, this <laughs> you make choices at the grocery store you when your paycheck the is limited. Store. We got some Squawk Booze news for this early morning. AB InBev is selling eight beer and beverage brands, including Shock Top and Blue Point, to the cannabis company Tilray Brands for an undisclosed amount. The acquisition includes breweries and brew pubs associated with the brands, as well as current employees. Tilray has been pushing into this category back in November, bought craft brewer Montauk Brewing. Tilray says the acquisition will make it the fifth largest craft brewer in the U.S. with a 5% share of the market. About 30% of revenues come from beverage and alcohol. Um, now for Tilray. So it's really diversifying beyond. Th only 30% is cannabis, 30% so is alcohol right. and beverage, 30% is medical distribution, 10% is health and wellness. Here's a question for you. Do you think investors like that? Do you want the mix? The, the mix as opposed to pure play? Yeah. I think it probably offers more ballast to, you Meaning know. Being in the alcohol business offers a little bit of ballast. Yeah. When, when the when the THC business isn't as, as active? It, it may also be a way to gain, you know, because they right. gain distribution um, in stores if they ever have sort of a THC beverage that is allowed, you know, oh, in the U.S. I, so that's what that's about. I, I'm not sure, but I'm just, you know, I didn't saying, know if there was a distribution. They gain. I just didn't know if they sell these things together. And the, way, also, the way Pepsi sells soda and chips together, do people sell alcohol and... Oh, I was THC, THC yeah. beverages. Well, that I get, yes. Or cannabis beverages. Let's even forget right. the THC part. So this is just getting into the beverage business I distribution think, place. I okay. think, I mean, it gives them the optionality, right? And also gives them the manufacturing plans. I know yeah. nothing about either of these things, so. <laughs> you know a lot about other things. Cheese will be next. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, President Biden is poised to issue an executive order limiting and scrutinizing U.S. investments in China. Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill explains why she's zeroing in on fair competition between the two nations. All of our market is open to groups like TikTok, and yet Chinese markets are not open. And what that creates is this imbalance where TikTok and their parent company can 
earn billions of dollars in the Chinese market, which they then can dump into taking over the U.S. market. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Melissa Lee. It's just the two of us this morning. And uh, Joe and Becky are off, but uh, we've got a lot going on. President Biden soon expected to sign an executive order that would more closely scrutinize American investments in Chinese high tech. That order could come as soon as this week and is expected to target U.S. private equity and venture capital. Join us right now to talk more about this is Congresswoman uh, Mikey Sherrill of New Jersey. She's a member of the House Select Committee on Strategic Competition between the U.S. and China. And there's been a lot of debate about this one. There certainly has been. I think um, there's also been a lot of work with private industry to make sure that this will be very targeted um, and make sure that that what we're doing is understanding the reporting from our companies, where these investments are going, and then in very key targeted areas, uh, stopping the investment in some of this high-end technology. We've seen, and this is a, you know based on some of the investigations that the, uh, the special committee has done, we've seen, for example, some U.S. investment going into Xinjiang, where a genocide is taking place against the Uyghur people. We've seen some investment, U.S. investment going into the suppliers of the People's Liberation Army into some stealth technology. So there are those key national security areas, uh, key areas that we want to make sure we're protecting U.S. investment and protecting U.S. industry. Congressman, what is your sense? And I'll give you I'll give you a, I don't know where you put this one. TikTok. TikTok is owned by, as you know, uh, a whole bunch of, of private equity firms uh, in the United States. What would you do about something like that? Well, you know, I think what we see with TikTok and in so many areas uh, that we've just seen unfair competition. So um, the special committee has heard testimony from U.S. tech firms about how, for example, all of our market is open um, to groups like TikTok, and yet Chinese markets are not open. And what that creates is this imbalance where TikTok and their parent company can earn billions of dollars in the Chinese market, which they then can dump into taking over the U.S. market. And so we hear from our Chinese tech or from our U.S. technology companies, look, we can compete with anyone fairly. We're the best in the world. The problem is this unfair competition. Um, and so we want to see more parity. We want to see more fairness in the market. And do you believe that by implementing this, this is going to, I mean, how much of this is an effort to change the policy in China versus really change the policy in the U.S.? I don't think we're going to see a policy change in China. Um, we see a Marxist economy. Um, we've seen very clearly how China um, has not become more democratic. They've not embraced the, the rules of the world economy that the United States has been instrumental in setting up. In fact, they are now a threat to the rules-based economic order. They have um, been creating this unfair playing field, which is why we're reshoring so much of the American manufacturing economy. I don't think they're going to change their policies. They've, they've been pretty clear in the China 2025 policy that they intend to compete in certain areas, and they intend to do so with investment in Chinese research and development, but they also would like to do so by having U.S. companies come to China 
And then the Chinese taking their technology, taking U.S. technology and, and utilizing it to overwhelm the U.S. companies. And that's what they've been doing. They've right. basically stated that's what they intend to keep doing. And now we are saying we're going to take measures to compete. We're going to take measures to ensure that we can create a more level playing field for our companies. What kind of pushback have you gotten from the private equity and VC uh, world, in part because disclosure has also been a, an issue that they have uh, typically fought? You know, it's been very interesting because I always anticipate a lot of pushback when there are these changes because we have uh, companies that want to make sure um, that they're doing as, you know, as well as can be expected in their investments and, and making money um, for their, their firms. But what's been interesting to me is to see that even before much of this has, you know, we haven't seen um, what the administration, what the administration is going to put out or when they're going to put this out. But we've already seen a withdrawal of much of the uh, American investment. And I think that's because after the zero COVID policy, um, after the, you know, wolf warriors, after taking over large parts of um, different industries, we've seen China become a risky investment. It, it is to many of our, our venture capitalists, China no longer looks like such a great investment. We've seen companies moving out of China because they can't ensure their supply chains aren't using forced labor. Um, we've seen companies moving out because um, they feel that uh, they can't ensure that their technology won't be stolen. Um, so I, a lot of this has been something that I think our investors are already pulling out of China and making different decisions without um, some of what the Biden administration may may come forward with. Congressman, when you mentioned the CHIPS Act, it is the one year anniversary. And we've got a reporter out there uh, who covers the CHIPS sector who says that, you know, it's taken a long time for any of that money, the $53 billion part of that act, to get into the hands of company to actually break ground. And that some of these CEOs cannot break ground until they get those checks. Is this sort of just, this is what, you know, how long it takes? It's the bureaucracy, you know, that's going on? Or, or do you, would you have thought that we would have been further along in terms of this effort to reshore? So this is a complicated process, and, and we want to make sure um, that we are putting out regulations so um, we are not simply, um, you know, the United States government isn't a venture capitalist. We, we need to care for the taxpayer dollars that we utilize and make sure they're used wisely. That said, yes, you know, certainly there are frustrations uh, with some of the bureaucracy. Uh, I think we are going to need permitting reform, not just for the chipset manufacturing, but uh, for other areas of the economy and investment that we want to do and as quickly as we want to move. However, um, I will say there's a lot of good news here because even with some of these hurdles to clear, we've already seen, um, I think it's 400 statements of interest, uh, people, companies that, that are interested in applying for this. We've already seen $231 billion of private investment into chips manufacturing. And we've seen an 80% rise overall in manufacturing construction year over year, which is really shocking. Um, so we're seeing the force of the government's push to reshore American manufacturing and to create these jobs here at home. Okay. Congressman, we appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Up next, New York Post reporter Lydia Moynihan on the latest trends in the workplace or not in the workplace. You look at these people who are actively recording themselves watching Netflix in their pajamas while they're supposed to be on the clock. All that and more still to come on Squawk Pod. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Melissa Lee. Here's Andrew. Welcome back to Squawk Box. Even Zoom, even Zoom, the company this is, now throwing in the towel on fully remote work. The company that cashed in on the digital work revolution is now requiring most employees to work in person, in person, at least two days a week. It's an abrupt shift from last year. When it's suggesting a majority of its employees would work a hybrid schedule with just 2% working in person full time. Other firms, including now Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, Salesforce, and even the federal government have pushed for more time in the office, citing the need for in person collaboration. And joining us in person, no less, on her birthday is Lydia Moynihan, reporter at the New York Post. I promised if she would come in that, you would sing. that I would sing. So when does you, that happen now? Or I later? think it's usually good to do it just at the outset. Okay, let's should hear I it. Should, do you want to whistle? I can whistle it no, too. No, no. Lydia, you promised you singing. I, this, I know, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> Whistling is different from singing. Happy birthday to you. We, we, it's a, it's a small, I got the, the, the gist. segment's not I got that the long. Gist. It's not yeah. that long, but thank you for coming in. I, I will be looking for the ballet dancing and the pirouetting after, after. after the segment. Um, so so what, what's going on here? And I'm just so surprised about this trend. I mean, you, you've, you've spent a lot of time reporting on sort of the in-person hybrid yeah. situation. Is it, is it ever going to end? Or do you think we're like at a four-day thing for the it three day, like It seems like it is being ratcheted What's up slowly. Well, I mean, when I first came in and started talking about this, we were talking about quiet quitting. Right. Now we're talking about loud quitting. So that trend is certainly being amplified at the same time. But look, when you have Zoom, the company that arguably benefited more than any other company, from the work from home trend itself saying, you know what, there's probably a benefit to being in person at least a couple days a week. I think that says everything you need to know. But we, we did know there was going to be some sort of reset after the pandemic, that we probably weren't going to go back to a five-day-a-week schedule, right? You saw a lot of people who realized, okay, I can work from home on a Friday. The world hasn't ended, and people right. don't want to give up that flexibility. So there's certainly an acknowledgement when even Zoom says we want people back in a couple days a week that that is going to be a trend. But I think we're going to see some sort of hybrid model pretty much across the board going forward, of course, you don't think except even on two, Wall Street, you where you've seen people... Six days a week in, in the seven office. Seven days a week. Yeah, if you, don't, if you don't come in on Saturday, don't bother coming in on Sunday. That's the mentality on Wall Street. Clearly not the case in tech companies. If you don't think that in five years from now, it's five days, it's back to five days? And the reason I ask is just, because, again, it goes back to the cities, and it goes back to all of, all of the sort of municipal services, restaurants and businesses. And this was the debate around uh, federal workers, you know, how do you get, by the way, how do you get people in D.C. back in the office? It's still, a, you know, ghost town half the time. Not necessarily because you even need them in the office for the work product, though. That's obviously debatable. But whether you need them there just to make every to make everything, quote, work, if you will. But is that is that the company's responsibility to well, make Well, that's a good question. I don't know if it really is. But, it, but I will say for those who've invested enormous amounts of money in real estate in their offices, it kind of is, actually. Well, that's certainly why you've seen a lot of banks who have a vested interest in real estate calling people back as well. But I think it's all about sort of who holds the power in the economy. Right. So especially during the pandemic, we saw that it was the workers who held the power, and they were able to essentially call the shots 
One thing I want to touch on is this whole lazy girl job trend that's been going viral. Yeah, what is this? On what? the internet. So I think... I don't want to be sexist about it. What is this? It's, it, no, it's, it's... I mean... So I want to delineate because there's okay. really two schools of thought when it comes to this philosophy. Now the first explain that it's called it's called lazy girl jobs. We're talking these videos have tens of millions of views yes. on TikTok. It is all the rage among have Gen Z. Have you made Z. one yet? No, because okay. I, I don't want to get fired. I mean, it's pretty lazy girl. It's no, pretty wild. But, you, know, she, no, but you, you, you look at these no. people who are actively recording themselves watching Netflix in their pajamas while they're supposed to be on the clock. Right. It's Shocking. So I think that trend is not going to be long for this world. I think if you're able to copy Are they getting and paste, fired? From, are people seeing them getting fired? In some cases, yes. So if you remember about a year ago, there was a big trend on TikTok, on social media, where people would record a day in the life videos. Yes, ridiculous videos. And where they were like working for 10 minutes people, and doing yoga and eating exactly. at the salad bar. They the would record the a TikTok of themselves walking to the office, one meeting, getting their matcha, getting a massage. Many of those people were let go of in the right. first round of tech layoffs. So now we're saying basically that replicated. These jobs are a little less competitive. They typically are out of college jobs where people are just so what is happening? Freely, freely. But you know what? If you can writing their memos on, on ChatGPT, filing them, and then well, if you can write all the, your memos on ChatGPT, I think probably ChatGPT can do your entire job. So I think. Well, that is, but trend. is that what's happening here? In some cases, yes. In some yes. cases, have you, I've seen some of these TikToks where that's what yes. the lazy girls are doing. Yes. Yeah. Um, unless they're just not doing their job. No, no, no. They'll say that they're going to go to the gym now because they just filed, they, like, they did a whole PowerPoint using ChatGPT, Chat and then they're off. Have you seen this? It's unbelievable. No. It's, yeah, it's yeah. What, but I, I will note, too, there's another sort of lazy girl school of thought, and that is a reaction to all of the hustle culture and the work hard, right. play hard Why culture Why don't they call it saw. lazy boy? Why are there no lazy boys? I'm sure I there think, are. Andrew, maybe you need to make that video. I think it may be because it's trademarked by lazy boy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Well, maybe there's a brand thinking. here to be made. I know out it's of, early in the morning. Genius. I know out it's of early in the morning. Girl jobs. Some of the other phrases are like, you know, we have now loud quitting. We have, what is it, low motivation Monday. I mean, it's it's a whole reaction, though, I think, to hustle culture and to sort of the burnout that a lot of people experienced. Right. And they realized, if I'm getting paid $50,000 a year, there's a phrase, act your wage, that basically they don't want to be giving up body and soul. Yes, act we your gotta wage. We got to have... No, act, come... act the wage you want. Yes, that that's true. That should be the yes. mentality. Certainly. Young people at home. Well, I think that's why you're here. You know, right. dress for the wage you want, not the wage you have. Exactly. Lydia Moynihan, on her birthday, no less, yes. educating us about, about the lazy girl. La all of these things. We should make this like a regular thing with that like all the phrases. The what will they think of next? Yeah. I mean, thank you. It was great to see you. Very thank nice you for singing. Happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday. I'll do a thank full serenade okay, later. Yeah. yeah, after the dancing bears come in. Melissa, thank you for hanging out this morning. It was so great. I'll be back Appreciate tomorrow. It. Great. We'll see you in the morning. <laughs> And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Melissa Lee for sitting in today. You can tune into the show weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis and interviews and conversation from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
And we are clear. Thanks, guys.